This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. This is a disclaimer to this episode. I'm, uh, I'm perhaps demanding a bit too much by getting your take on things that are rather bleak. But that said, you are both voices that I admire. Um, even when it's late at night and both of you probably just want to be in bed and not worry about me, um, I'm flattered. You're both awake and ready. So it's an honor to gauge both of your minds together. And Jessica, you've been on the podcast before. Adia, I think, I think this is the first time we actually meet. And I don't know if we've ever met in person. I, I don't think so. But we've communicated at times on Facebook. I'm glad that you have a feel for the podcast and, uh, I'll keep the conversation as light as possible. And um, let me start it with perhaps the most challenging question. Um, we've seen a lot of things happen the last two months, starting with Macron's visit. And for that matter, the aftermath of the blasts, that's a story on its own. And the maybe, maybe the last chance for serious reform. And we're seeing it slip by. We saw a caretaker, uh, caretaker prime minister unable to form a government we saw the usual politics taking hold. We also heard Macron chastise us. And us, I use this very thin definition of us, chastising the Lebanese political class for not being able to uh, get its act together. And I'll start here. And maybe, Ali, I can begin with you. Am I being too bleak by saying that this is really the last chance? Um, am I being too pessimistic and assuming that if we don't get these things done now, it's over? Or do you still have some hope that the French initiative, and maybe we can sort of focus in on that, that it, it, by default, it's the last chance. And that's the only way out. And now it's a time of paralysis. Rather than collapse, rather than outright chaos and anarchy, that is just a paralyzed situation. And it's a waiting game, at least for the time being. Yeah, so thank you, Ronnie, uh, for, for having me, uh, with Jessica in particular. Um, look, I, I mean, for me, uh, I, I was never a believer that, uh, that, uh, that, that uh, the French uh, initiative, or for that matter, any other initiative, uh, would succeed. Um, I've been saying for a, uh, quite a while, maybe uh, more recently, more vocally, uh, that that I think the the concept of reform, as you and me and uh, many of uh, uh, like-minded Lebanese, uh, or even more Lebanese more broadly, uh, would like to see it happen, is really these reforms that we are talking about are exactly the uh, 
I mean, the the, uh, the antithesis of our political class or those right. who are in the driving seat. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I've never had expectations um, uh, that uh, that things would go in uh, in the right direction. Actually, if at all, even in my day job, and I'm in the financial markets uh, for uh, have been there for uh, for a while. Um, uh, people have always uh, named me as the um, sort of too pessimistic uh, uh, Lebanese economist. Uh, but pessimistic, uh, not because I don't believe in, in the Lebanese and their potential. On the contrary, actually. I mean, uh, uh, it's maybe because I have worked with a, a large class of the political class um, before leaving Lebanon. And also, I've been interacting with them over the last uh, uh, years when I was out, out outside Lebanon. And I've seen really, if at all, not, uh, not no progress, but rather uh, just a deterioration. So the path for me uh, is a deteriorating path, and I would not have expected from them anything else. Now, the question also is about the French initiative itself, the question that they have bet on this political class uh, um, um, before declaring, basically, and... and uh, uh, and assuming I'm not saying that they should not. I mean, at the end, uh, we are a sovereign country, and the balance of power um, and, and uh, um, elections have brought these people uh, in, in in government. The question is, I mean, uh, whether we think that the French initiative, or for that matter, the international uh, community engagement, could have said that there is a problem of legitimacy mm. in the first place mm -hmm. uh, with this political class, and therefore that um, that any initiative for that matter should not only involve them but should involve a wider spectrum of uh, of Lebanese uh, rather than just saying that uh, the civil society or the opposition or whatever alternative forces are quote unquote uh, unable to present an alternative which I do not think is absolutely true but is partly true. Um, and I think this is the other thing with uh, with the with the French initiative. And I think the third uh, point is that uh, the French initiative is coming at a point wh uh, where regionally uh, geopolit the geopolitical basically backdrop is um, uh, is getting um, uh, again to one of its basically culminating points. Right. Uh, uh, that is uh, both in terms of the um, uh, the upcoming. A transition um, at the helm of the, I mean, in terms of the U.S. leadership and what it implies uh, for uh, the engagement or disengagement. Ali, I appreciate you taking the conversation quickly to the geopolitical quagmire. And I, I know that maybe that shouldn't be the focus of this episode, but it should be said that obviously the fact that the French and the Americans have some sway at the moment vis-a-vis -vis Iran and, and whatever you want to talk about that issue right now, that yeah, Lebanon is not handling its own affairs domestically. But I, I also got from you that uh, that may, maybe the problems are structural in a, diff in a different way. That the usual suspects, meaning the Lebanese political class, are still the, uh, the power brokers of the country. And that a year, and almost a year long now, of protests and protests and protests to at least try to change or encourage reform, that they're still doing their politics as usual. And I'll ask you, Jessica, is there any any possibility at this point for the usual suspects within the Lebanese system? 
to carry out reform. Knowing that there is no structural opposition, or that there's no, for that matter, there isn't a, a, a leadership or a mechanism where you could sort of choose something else. Is there any, any room, room for minute hope at this point that rather than committing collective suicide, that they will try and do what they can to at least unlock some money? And I'm keeping it at very bare minimum here. I'm not talking about long-term uh, improvement or even for that matter what the revolution was all about. Just the basics. Are, are we past that at this point or is there still some room to at least hope that something will happen in at least the near medium term? So normally everywhere we've seen reforms and we've seen reforms trigger, being triggered from a crisis, there have been champions for reforms which mm -hmm. Lebanon doesn't seem to have. Uh, it seems a bit absurd to expect the same people who have put the country into this and who have been unable to reform before the financial crisis and before we got to actually to the, to the bottom to, act, to now be willing to reform. It's the exact the same structure, same people. Nothing has changed in the political scene. So if there's a trigger, it doesn't seem to be... To, we cannot seem to find a trigger yet. Mm. And if there was going to be reforms with exact people, then the first question is, why didn't they reform before we actually hit rock bottom? So these people have not shown any interest in serious reforms. And the worst thing I find now, it's not that we get to this, to this low level, but that we got here and no one has shown any willingness to actually take us up from where we are or to actually do any take any action to implement any kind of reforms and it's been at least one wasted year where they haven't implemented anything we're just wasting time now this is a personal question to you both and i'll, I'll start with you jessica i i've learned so much about the energy sector and about electricity generation in general because of you and uh i mean whether it's various outlets or other podcasts um, I think I know now how to fix the electricity sector. That's because I've just been reading and listening to you. Can you just tell me why it's very difficult for someone like you or people like you to be able to affect change in Lebanon? Knowing that all the talent is available, and these are names that we both know, names that we're familiar with, they're not able to affect change. A very personal subjective view from your side. Why is it so difficult? For, for, for you, for you to be part of the solution, rather than just policy papers or, or sharing uh, your, your analysis beyond that? Why, why can't you or people like you be part of the solution? So I, just, I don't want to just speak about myself. Lebanon has a lot of talent, whether domestically or across the world, and the Lebanese people have built and contributed to, to many nations across the world and so many different sectors. But here in Lebanon, we do not have an enabling environment for talent to start with. And people who are talented normally try to stay, uh, to stay outside of the political mm. scene because of how dirty it is and because how much they try to drag you into the dirt. So that's one problem. The other that we've seen that the politicians uh, prefer loyalty over competence. And I understand that people who get to power normally everywhere in the world bring their own people. The problem here is that they bring their own people, but it's not, it's not the best talent. It's, it's not built on competence. It's not built on skills or expertise. So we're just 
bringing in people who are just going to, to be yes person. And this is sadly how we got here in the first place. So there are deadlocks, but also we've seen lots of mismanagement and lots of policy failure and lots of actually mere incompetence. So this royalty over competence, and I like that framework, it's, it's such an unattractive place for experts or analysts or whatever to sort of jump into because it's automatically playing by the politics as usual problem. And, and Ali, I'll ask you, do you share that kind of sentiment that it's, it's almost like a schism between the, the people that have ideas that are, that are practical and real versus the long-standing sort of dinosaurs that we're too familiar with? Do you see that kind of divide? Well, uh, yes and no. And maybe because, I mean, uh, I, I'm a little bit older, I should say. <laughs> and I have, I have the benefit of, of having really worked um, uh, in this period in the administration in Lebanon, mm. uh, where uh, really um, uh, there were a return of talent. And that was really um, in the 90s uh, right. until the early 2000s. Um, and uh, and so I, I I am one of those uh, who who believes that we made it in a certain period of time, maybe at uh, with a lot of the same kind of political decor I would say in terms mm. of the the same sort of uh, um, political class running the show, but I think what matters uh, the difference between uh, uh, that time and today. Uh, despite them being the same, is the deterioration in terms of really uh, shunning away, uh, destroying competence, uh, and privileging uh, clientelistic loyalty, uh, 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 but also increasingly more within a sectarian uh, um, a sectarian realm. Um, I just give an example just to uh, like maybe before if you were from uh, a given sect and somebody else find you competent and intelligent from a different sect, uh, then they would uh, still vouch for you and promote you and say, well, this person is good. And, 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 and now um, no, there is no way. I mean, uh, um, the leader in sect A tells you, look, I really like you and you're competent and you could really fit the job. But, you know, you have to go and talk to <laughs> uh, uh, to, to, to your party affiliation right. or yeah. to, to the leadership. So so there has been this this um, uh, 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 this change that in itself uh, has also been exclu more exclusionist. But I think even more we have seen uh, both within the administration, but also in the private sector, people leaving because increasingly not only within the administration, you became more clientelistic, but also in terms of business elite to government elite uh, sort of um, uh, relationship, it has turned increasingly more uh, towards extreme level of state capture. And, and so, so that drove away talent, uh, uh, at least in terms of uh, being at the, re uh, at the helm uh, of, um, of reform processes. Uh, now, whether there exists still reform champions or not, I think there still is. There are, there are much fewer than 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, uh, the only thing is, of course, that they are now in a much more difficult, non-conducive environment for reform. And maybe I'll end on this because maybe, again, I'm an economist and I always 
try to think in terms of supply and demand. I mean, uh, uh, to, to move the reform process forward, I think you need uh, to, to have a supply of reform and a demand for reform. So over time, we have seen uh, a, the supply side because it has become more and more clientelistic, the administration and the and and the uh, public uh, pu civil servants usually are one source of reform projects, uh, laws, um, programs. Uh, so the fact that they were captured by by the political class, uh, they they become increasingly not all of them, but but a bigger part more subservient to it. And the supply side is also basically muted by the fact that, as we agreed just a few minutes ago, that this political class is actually um, uh, not incapable but unwilling of reform. So you have the supply side completely or to a large extent basically uh, um, muted or dysfunctional. Now, res now going to the demand side, what is it? the demand side is people like us, is people on the streets, is, uh, is the media, is uh, civil society. Uh, uh, so, so here, obviously, over the last year, uh, the process of um, the crisis has destroyed uh, hugely, basically, the middle class, which typically is, in many countries we have seen, yeah. a core element of driving the demand for reform. Mm. Media in Lebanon, uh, we have, um, um, I mean, big question on the extent of their, basically, independence from, uh, from the politicians. Uh, uh, um, and, and more recently, of course, we have seen uh, um, greater authoritarianism uh, um, uh, also uh, uh, shutting down and uh, stifling uh, demand for reform. Uh, so, uh, so, so this is also a, 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 the demand side that has been struggling. And I guess our job is not only uh, keep the demand for alive uh, and kicking by getting engaged people like us, uh, wherever we are, but also to um, uh, to to demand uh, um, uh, uh, well bringing back the supply side by by system wide basically uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, reform legal. Uh, I mean, whether it is civil service reform, uh, procurement reform, uh, ways to basically break. Uh, the capture of politician uh, um, uh, of the state, I mean, and reduce the level of state capture. I'm going to say it from now, in all the episodes I've done about reform, that's the first time I've heard the supply and demand of reform. And I mean, that should be a course in Lebanon. <laughs> and that's, that's a very good, I, I enjoy that, the framework that you just, uh, you just spilled out. And I like that you take us back sort of several times to the early 2000s, but more importantly to the early 1990s, just after the Civil War ended. And my memory of then, and I, I'm not going to ask how old you are, that would, I would never do that, but let's just say we're all old enough to remember that phase. I vividly recall a far more pos positive environment, even though the country was in a way worse off. I mean, it's just emerging from a 15-year civil war. And I mean, we talk about electricity problems now, but in the early 1990s, electricity was extremely unreliable. Infrastructure was was destroyed during the war and was being rebuilt. And I know things are very bad right now. And I know the lira is far worse than it's ever been. But the maybe the, the ability to affect change seemed more likely back then. And I want to understand why. Because if anything, the last three decades, we should have by now found a way to implement some healthy change. And is it, is it really just beyond our control at this point? 
because three decades after a civil war, the experts that were around three decades ago, I mean, their children are now experts as well. So we have a generation of people trying to affect positive change. Is it simply that it's just beyond our control? And, and like you said, Alia, that it's just sort of kicking, 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 trying to stay alive at this point, rather than seeing any real healthy change. And I, I, I don't want to be sort of condescending to anyone in terms of people trying at this point still against all the odds. It's no judgment against them. But just the practicality at this point for change. If at the end of the Civil War it was easier to push these ideas through and now we're at a more difficult stage, I mean, it's hard for me to see where this ends. And using that framework, maybe I can start with you, Jessica, since you are the youngest here. We can ask you at the beginning, sort of, what, what you think of in terms of your own sort of career now and whether or not you can actually affect change at this point or if it's beyond your own control. It is beyond my control, of course. Mm. So normally reforms um, also need a political will because you hit a crisis and then you decide that you're going to move beyond this. And mm. we haven't seen, so normally you need to actually witness some sort of trigger to reforms, which doesn't exist, but also some form of track to put these reforms on track, we also haven't seen. So. What we're seeing in terms of reforms are more of a, of a decor than actual structural changes. Uh, and it's, it, goes beyond, it goes beyond one person, uh, whether it's me or anyone else, because it's, it's not only technical. So you, need, you have a political situation to navigate, you have a financial situation to navigate, and you have technical issues, which are all interlinked. And you need to have an actual plan that includes all these factors to, to be able to, to do that. And reforms have to be uh, a collective effort. It has to come from the government side, it has to have a secure citizens buy-in, and it needs to also secure uh, private sectors buy-in. So it, it cannot be driven by one person, but it does need a collective effort. And this collective effort has to start with decision makers and the decision makers we have today uh, haven't decided to actually reform. And I find it quite, quite hard to actually expect them to reform anything. So the burden is still on them to at least lead the charge of reform. That they, they have to initiate, the, 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 they have to create the platform. And it's the same group of people that are hell-bent on keeping the status quo. Is, is that the dilemma? That, that they have the key to reform? And they're choosing; they're actively choosing not to. And then the other side, so, the experts are not, still not able to sort of push themselves inside. So you need to get to power to actually be able to change anything. Otherwise, you're just if you're outside, you're an activist. You have to be inside to actually be able to drive anything. Mm -hmm. And sadly, to actually get inside in the political situation you are in, so uh, you have so many conflicting political issues, geopolitical issues, and you have vested interests that it's very hard for those people to lack champions and, be, and other people who can lead reforms to get to power. So you need, you need a specialized government that actually has some sort of, I'm not going to say political consensus, but that can align at least public uh, pub the public, but you also need a government to be formed. And we've seen that these people who have blocked reforms are the same people who are also blocking the formation of a government. So what can you do within a political impasse first before getting to a reform impasse? 
I'm glad I'm glad you said that actually. And that offers a question to Alia just about that particular subject. Um, and I'll say the same thing to to you, Alia. I, I learned a lot about the economy and finance from you, and I, I think all of us have been learning from each other in different ways the last months. Um, and your own take on on uh, the finance ministry debacle, which is I guess still an ongoing issue, although I don't know if it's sort of headline news right now, but it's still there. You have a clear problem in that the government cannot even figure out who the finance minister should be. You have money sort of being offered in return, figure it out and you'll get funds. And here we are. I mean, it's sort of deadlines pass. Uh, there's a caretaker government indefinitely. Let's assume that some basic funds are unlocked. And this is for more, let's say it's purely humanitarian at this point, not sort of, uh, not meant to do more. What do you see happening? And from your side, as somebody who's sort of been around for some time watching this rapid decline, and you've also seen sort of more positive years behind us, but how do you see this turning? Is, is it the threats of chaos and uncertainty are, are louder now? And uh, let alone the human toll, I mean, it's been so painful to be in Lebanon this 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 time it's it's really really tough on everyone is it just is it paralysis where we are right now for an indefinite period of time until one day some IMF money shows up or maybe some said funds are 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 sent over or is there a real possibility for a breakdown at this point not necessarily the the more not necessarily the uglier version of breakdown, which we know from the 1980s and late 1970s, but a breakdown where the country is ungovernable and there's real no infrastructure to work with. So, I'll, I mean, it's, it's, again, a purely subjective take from, from your side. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, look, uh, this is, uh, <laughs> again, uh, I remember uh, um, uh, on January 1st, I was like uh, thinking, okay, so what's my outlook for, for 2020? And, uh, <laughs> oh. and I, I went out and said uh, on Twitter that 2020 for me is, um, Great year. is a year of economy and, <laughs> and national security. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I mean, and and I, I have been always, uh, maybe because also I, <laughs> I lived through all the episodes of war, and uh, uh, I, I, I could remember how things deteriorate uh, quite quickly in Lebanon. So, so I always thought that, I mean, the gravity of the economic situation will itself dictate <laughs> the right political decisions, mm. uh, because I was seeing how 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 big the problem is and where it could lead us and i thought that this by explaining it to the politicians and you all know that we have been doing this for for many months uh, the scale and the gravity of the situation will uh, be enough to push uh, uh, the politicians to take the rightful uh, and timely decisions uh, obviously i was uh, either naive or late now clearly uh, wrong and um, and and now that I reflect on why they did not take the right decision, 
My only explanation is what is unraveling over the last few weeks, which is that uh, uh, letting the situation deteriorate um, by uh, giving uh, up on less and less of the privileges that they have acquired for the past 30 years, uh, will, um, and by impoverishing people more is the best way for uh, the current political uh, class to actually reconsolidate power. And how is that happening? I mean, you can see it through what's happening in the economy, right? I mean, the adjustment is brutal, is destroying uh, uh, not only people's lives and capital, but also the, the societal fabric in which we are living. I mean, uh, what we are seeing, okay, so we defaulted on that, so, um, uh, and, uh, and much of the debt, at least the domestic one, is being inflated through, is being basically uh, 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 due through a combination of uh, devaluation and inflation. Uh, um, at the same time, obviously, uh, the losses of the financial sector that would have come from a, an orderly debt restructuring is now being done in a disorderly manner every day through the haircuts that we are uh, seeing as people are, because of the lack of visibility on where they're going, they're going and uh, withdrawing their deposits out of the banks, uh, a large part of which doesn't exist, at least in, in foreign currency. Mm. But also this spiral of hyperinflation spiral, right? The exchange rate depreciation that is being caused by continued um, deficit uh, monetization by printing more money is just eroding people's uh, purchasing power. And that is... Uh, the, the wealth, uh, uh, biggest wealth that is being destroyed is seeing uh, the best, basically, of our talent, as uh, um, uh, Jessica called it, uh, fleeing, uh, going to find opportunities elsewhere, a huge cost in the future, because this will reduce significantly Lebanon's future potential growth. Uh, and, uh, and going into this uh, logic of... Um, uh, uh, of civil uh, conflict. It's almost like a policy to take things to the tipping point and put as much pressure on the population as possible. And that's a, that's a very, uh, it's almost it's like... It's a very risky, it's, not just, it's a very risky bet. And it's a risk, risk factor that the ruling elite, for lack of a better word, uh, are willing to take. So are you, are you, do you see things the same way? That it's sort of push things as far as they can go before taking one step back? Yes, and it may ne not necessarily lead to them taking a step back or actually doing anything about it because things can get way beyond control at any moment in time. So it, it's seriously a very risky, very risky game mm. because so now you're depriving people. They don't have services. They don't have savings. They don't have any kind of safety net. And the political situation is unstable. And in the past, people have at least it does seem that they have compromised and they were willing to, to let go of some basic services like electricity from the state, water and all of that in return to just give us some sort of unstable peace. And now that unstable peace is also at risk. So you might slip into any kind of conflict as, as Alia was saying, any, at any point in time you can actually go into a, a conflict. Uh, so it might get uh, to an irreversible point any time in uh, any point in time, I don't think they actually 
uh, they're very strategic or they actually plan anything much. I just think uh, they're out of cards and for mostly it's sad that we're not seeing any willingness to actually pull Lebanon out of the crisis, of the many crises actually we're witnessing now. I'll ask you both this question and I'll start with you, Adia. And I know I, I said it up front that maybe geopolitics shouldn't be the focus of this kind of episode, but I'll, I'll take it only in the within the financial sort of, uh, I'll, I'll limit it as much as possible. Beyond offering money, which is really what's happening, and I think I got this quote right, that even the Americans were willing to go further, it's $21 billion, in return for fundamental change that may not be to the liking of many Lebanese. Forget the ruling class. It may be an unpopular sort of position among, among the population. But beyond that kind of, I don't know if it's a carrot and stick together, so it's almost like forcing this money and saying, look what we can give you, but change your behavior fundamentally. Is there anything else that can be done? Is there any kind of, is there another way out beyond that kind of heavy sort of incentive of a lot of money, but change your behavior? Do you see any other alternative to the IMF negotiations, to the SEDs? funds, or even for that matter, what the Americans may be offering. Is there any other sort of mechanism? And maybe we can include sanctions in this conversation, because sanctions are a bit of both. They're politics and, in a way, finance and economics sort of stuck together. So is, do you see another way for, the, for things to change? Well, for things to change, I think, um, I mean, the, the dilemma with using the, the, the money, the incentives, or even the, the sanctions, which is clearly to, in today's world a very important uh, geoeconomic tool, mm. uh, uh, is, uh, is, is in our case may not, uh, may be counterproductive in the sense that uh, for us as purists, if I, if yeah. I want to, to mm -hmm. say, I mean, what kind of reform do you want to, to have? Uh, if if it is just in, in, driven by sanctions and money, right? Right. I mean, uh, as much as we want to have reform in place and progress on reform, but I we should also care uh, about the irreversibility of these reforms, right? Uh, because that's the only thing that will bring those Lebanese who have who are now waiting uh, for for the planes to take off uh, and who have tears in their eyes mm. uh, for them to commit to come back. They want to make sure that they would don't want to, to go through this yet another time, right? Uh, because uh, the political, basically. Um, uh, 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 the political process did much ma did not manage to create the uh, uh, seeds for sustainable change, right? So that's my concern with this um, uh, logic of only using the carrot and the stick mm, mm. Uh, and the sanction. I mean, uh, uh, being the money and uh, and, and and the sanctions, uh, it may uh, be useful. Uh, to be used uh, tactically, maybe, uh, to drive a process for a transitional period. But uh, fundamentally for us as citizens, uh, I think what we should care about is about uh, having strategic shifts <laughs> in the landscape uh, right. uh, in which we are operating. And that can only be uh, sustainable if it is organically uh, uh, um, uh, sown and, and promoted and developed. Uh, um, uh, yeah, so that's uh, in a nutshell. And 
Uh, Jessica, this organic framework that Ali is describing, is the burden on civil society to create something at this point that could serve as an alternative? I mean, how would you see an organic sort of effort sort of sticking this through and, and ushering in a situation where reforms are not temporary, that they're permanent? Because at this point, I don't know what that looks like. And even if you include elections or anything that's sort of politics as usual in Lebanon, I don't see that. So our, our answer is sort of limited to civil society, just pushing and pushing and pushing. Or is there more than that at this point that's necessary? In my opinion, if we want to see sustainable reforms, we need to also, and it's a key requirement to build institutions, and we need to have a framework that can bypass at any point in time a major political influence. So you need to have strong public institutes. Public institutes, strong institutes are a catalyst in actually driving reforms. Um, and it's collective effort, so it's not uh, just civil society by itself. Uh, so the Lebanese people are literally paying people, whether in cabinet and parliament, uh, to actually drive, uh, at least present some service, um, pre offer a better living for the Lebanese people or to offer, offer a better plan. So I'm not going to, I don't want to put all the weight on civil society because mm, mm. they're not, and I don't want, I believe in accountability. There are people now in power being paid by the Lebanese citizens to deliver a better future. So if we're going to hold anyone accountable and put weight and any uh, pressure on anyone, these are the people who should deliver first. And then the civil society should complement in, in pushing for reforms, advocating for reform. And that comes through uh, str uh, strengthening public institutes and then that comes also with, with incorporating talent into these institutes, which would also stop that, uh, that leak of, uh, and brain, uh, brain drain from the country. And it also needs a private sector who's going to be, because all the reforms would need investment. So we're, hope, we're hoping that it can come to a financial solution which would bring some sort of international support, but eventually the private sector has a very important uh, role to play. So I find that it's, it's again, I'm going to say it, it's collective effort, but the first people to be accountable to drive this are the people we actually hired in power. I'll expand on this question to Halia, uh, whether it's Macron's recent initiative or, or future attempts, is there a way for external players to encourage that today in Lebanon? No, knowing that the most recent example, which we sort of briefly touched on, was stalled by a very visible sort of uh, issue. And that sort of brought the worst, worst aspects of sectarianism and politics as usual to the forefront, and it stalled. Is there a way to bypass that? And I'm talking beyond Macron, if there's an international sort of conference on Lebanon where you have sort of real effort. Or is there anything that can be done? Or is this, at the end of the day, really stuck in Lebanon? This is a Lebanese issue, and the Lebanese will have to figure this out. Because I'm, I'm trying to see light at the end of the tunnel. And I, like both of you, I don't want it to come from abroad. I don't want to have sort of a, in sort of a, a very short-term package that does very little and only guarantees like maybe very a small window of stability. I want to see permanent change. So is, is there a way to bring all that together? With the help from outside bodies and outside players, 
but also saying what Jessica just uh, what just what she just elaborated, which is yeah, there's a collective problem, and the solutions are collective, but but they're Lebanese. I think we should both have the bottom up approach and the mm. and the top down. So the bottom up in the sense that ideally you would want to have a serious dialogue among the Lebanese. Uh, um, but 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 this is where now we are blocked because basically, um, I mean, those in power are saying that those on the street or those who uh, do, do, do not represent or don't have a program or they don't want to negotiate with us. Um, and then uh, it is true that we are seeing uh, the Saura movement still gestating or trying to develop a, a, right. a solid coalition and we're not fully there. Uh, for various reasons, which you've addressed in many of your uh, episodes uh, previously. So ideally, you should have a national dialogue uh, that could be met by a framework of uh, international, basically, sponsorship uh, that could push the dialogue away from the brink, which is a complete collapse and and going in towards a civil strife, but also that does not preserve the statu quo, which um, a large part of the of 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 of, of the uh, of the society had perceived some of the uh, international action to be uh, uh, just co-opting the existing political class. So I think there there has to be something in the middle, and we 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 have to work towards it. Uh, because I think this logic of ex- exclusionism that some in society talk about, we have to always, uh, in my view, uh, just um, insist on refusing this logic of excluding others but not refusing dialogue. So that's that's the important thing for me. And there's a very fine line. Uh, uh, now, on the issue of... Um, uh, of, of aid and uh, with that 21 billion, I just wanted to say something. I mean, for me, whatever the package is, frankly, what matters is is the program of reform and the sequencing. And to go back to the issue of mm. the politics yeah. uh, and the political economy of the program, I mean, uh, 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 receiving money um, in order to try and limit the extent of adjustment, whether it's fiscal adjustment or etc., in order to reduce the pain that will be incumbent on the, on the Lebanese to go through mm. in a crisis, um, may not be, again, sustainable if you don't start by the accountability part, i.e. many Lebanese in any reform program where you have harsh fiscal adjustment will probably not accept to pay higher taxes, uh, see their wages cut even more after they've lost 80% of their purchasing power. Mm-hmm. If they do not uh, 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 see at the outset and upfront, uh, a very solid framework uh, for making for for accountability, um, whether basically uh, like we saw today, I mean a very strong implementation of an of the illicit uh, enrichment, uh, right. Right. the anti-corruption rules, the procurement rules, uh, enshrined into a, a solid um, judicial independence law. I mean, you need really to have these governance <laughs> and accountability uh, reforms. Uh, up front in order for you to be able to proceed in an orderly adjustment. Otherwise, society will not accept more pain 
for very little or possibly zero gains. I'm, I like that you, you say that at the end that society won't accept more pain. And is that really the tipping point where if there's more pain, then you see the inevitable consequences emerging? That is that in worst case scenario, it's outright civil strife. But even more limited yeah. measures. Like, yeah, the only yeah. thing that is muting this logic, Roni, is is really the fact what we are seeing today is 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 that um, if you go around, uh, I mean, the um, uh, the the uh, deterioration in the uh, living conditions of the Lebanese is um, is not equal in the sense that in some regions. Uh, the political forces at play have been subsidizing through their own channels a lot of the cost, a lot of the, 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 the families uh, and reducing the cost of yep. the adjustment for a big part of the population. And those are the, the ones who are usually the constituencies of those same political parties who have been basically benefiting from uh, the state largesse and, uh, and, yeah. uh, and, 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 and corruption, I would, I would say, and also have much of their money sitting outside and now that they can, uh, um, $100 is not worth only uh, 1.5, what, what it was, but, yeah. but probably three and four times. So, so you're, you're, if I may call it the power of nuisance is actually much bigger now, but at the same time, it is cautioning a lot of the cost of the adjustment on their own constituencies. However, those who are not captured by these informal sort of political elite, I mean, whatever, political class, I don't like to, to, to use the word elite, uh, kind of safety nets, um, those are the ones who are bearing the brunt. And unfortunately, those are people who are probably mostly either independent or um, uh, um, have have been sort of self-sufficient, but now find themselves uh, being much more impoverished, and so they have to sell their assets or right, leave right. close shops. And guess who's going to pick up <laughs> the assets at very low prices? Yeah, there's two things happening. You have persistent pressure, bottom up, population fed up with the ruling class. You have top-down pressure. France, America, whatever. External players begging <laughs> the Lebanese politicians that we know to change their behavior. I cannot imagine another country going through this kind of situation where this group of political players survives. There's so much pressure on them, yet they're coming out fairly unscathed. Even when their base shrinks, they're still there. They're still there. They're still making the decisions. What other pressure can be applied at this point on this group of people that have largely hijacked state institutions? What, what can be done? I mean, and I, from everything we've talked about, economics, politics, sanctions, uh, sustained pressure from civil society and everything, what can be done? to at least change their behavior. Forget throwing them out at this point. Forget revolutionary slogans, forget all of that. Just changing their behavior. What can be done? And I, I, and I, I, it's a, I know it's a, it's a huge topic, I know, because many things maybe can be done, but I, from your side, in terms of wanting the best outcome, not the worst, 
not a partition, not civil strife, because those are options, but not that. More the healthier angle, where Lebanon improves rather than collapses. Well, obviously the monetary incentive, like SAD, that, was, that took place two years ago, didn't work. Uh, so they're not interested in, in being told, we're going to give you a package of money right. if you reform. They're not going to reform. Yeah. Um, ideally, I would hope that, and I've, we've spoken about this before, and I'm always optimistic about generational change, that the new generation, mm. at least mm. a large share of the new generation of the Lebanese people, actually care about the provision of basic services. Um, they're educated. We have it's an era of the internet, so people know it's not really that complex to provide electricity or to provide internet or to provide a safe uh, living space for people. Uh, so this new generation wants that, and they're actually and they're very vocal and they're solid and they're very smart. And I do believe that at some point in time they're going to enter parliament and actually drive that change. So that's my. And that's my hope for Lebanon, and that's how I think things would evolve. Uh, getting there is going to be very hard, and I'm not saying this is something that's going to happen tomorrow or, or next year or probably the year after. Right. But also, and, and, and I want to try to see the opportunity and the crisis that we're living through. And many of the private sector companies are trying to, uh, to upscale abroad, to provide the export opportunities, but work opportunities abroad. Mm. Many of the, and I hope the diaspora would rally more and organize more to try uh, to provide an outsourcing platform for the young people in Lebanon. And I'm going to, to, to talk in a bit about this. And when I wonder what Lebanon can provide that the rest of the world would want, it, it's, it's talent, uh, it's all that dedication uh, that Lebanese people do provide, and they need. We need to find a way for them to provide this from Lebanon. Um, and I find that also this is very important on the political level, because people who feel they are solid enough are normally are not afraid of being vocal, are not afraid of standing out against, uh, standing up against the things uh, they don't believe in. They they're not afraid of speaking up. So mm. I, I want us to try to help this young generation to build the better uh, Lebanon. Um, so this is my hope for, for the future. Getting there again is not going to be easy. It's going to be very hard. Uh, I hope that more and more Lebanese people are going to realize that building a country is not really that hard. Uh, we're just getting stuck into, we all at the end of the day want kind of the same things, but so many people do, do believe when their politicians tell them, you're not getting this because of the other politician. But they've all been there for a long period of time. If you cannot strike a change in a year or two, you're never going to do that. And, and it will probably come. It will take a long period of time. But I hope it will, will get there. Are you surprised? Think, oh, please, if, yes. Yeah, go I, ahead. If I may just, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think one, one approach to, to make this happen, uh, I mean, what, uh, what Jessica and and us and many young Le uh, Lebanese from not only the young, even the, the older ones uh, would like to see, is really try and, and shift uh, the discourse in politics and policy from uh, uh, identity-based politics to issues-based politics. And I think that is 
what if if anything i think our attempts from from uh, 2015 was it when the uh, garbage crisis yeah. uh, hit us and uh, and then again uh, uh, through, throughout the deterioration until the october uh, uh, protest it it was a build up of trying to push the pol political discourse in that uh, in that direction because this is what creates a common denominator across the different fault lines that um, um, our society uh, is marred <laughs> with. Uh, there are many fault lines in Lebanon, but I think when it comes to, to issues-based politics, issues that relate to service delivery in particular, to, to jobs, to, uh, um, uh, uh, um, I mean, uh, the environment, uh, 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 these are issues that bring people together. I mean, of course, they would. we have seen divides mainly on interests. I mean, who's going to get this contract here or there, obviously. But again, I think what we have seen recently is every time uh, civil society and society as, at large tries to push in the direction of changing the policy and the political discourse, we are being brought back into what you know you call in Arabic you know the small alleys of sectarian politics and I think uh, we have to remain uh, very uh, Adam insisting on taking ourselves and our surroundings because unfortunately the last few weeks have uh, and the last few months have thrown us back <laughs> in this sectarian abyss unfortunately yeah. uh, 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 in a dangerous manner and it's only by bringing back through evidence policy type of initiatives uh, like we have been doing all of us uh, in different places but maybe we should take stock and learn how we can do it more smartly maybe not stay in our <laughs> closed uh, circle uh, go to the periphery because it's not everything is not in beirut and mount lebanon uh, um, uh, the country has 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 uh, where we need to change is also <laughs> in in the rural areas and in the non urban areas so 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 i think uh, insisting on this um, uh, issues based politics is 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 a key element i think of of the whatever change paradigm we want we need to think about i couldn't think of a more optimistic way to end this conversation because i think it's, it's maybe an unexpected way of saying that time is on lebanon's side it's just a matter of time and this is maybe a very difficult moment but long term and i share jessica's uh hope in the younger generation wanting a very different country altogether um, yeah, I think that that is a very hopeful note. I, uh, it's hard to see it maybe when you're in the middle of this very tragic sort of uh, moment. But long term, it's hard for me to see an outright civil war in Lebanon again. And I think that's that's a good thing, that it's just too difficult to see that. Maybe short term anarchy, maybe medium term chaos, but long term... It's just hard. It's hard to see the 15-year civil war happening again. And that's a good thing. And uh, even though the economic situation is very bad right now, as Jessica was saying, and Ali, you're saying too, that, I mean, people can only take so much pain. And um, I, I hope 
I hope in the coming years. And Adia, you mentioned 2020, January 2020, sort of looking at the year ahead. I don't think any of us could have imagined how painful this year was going to be in January. I really hope the coming years are kinder to uh, to Lebanon. And um, I appreciate both of your time. Yeah, absolutely. I have done many episodes, and this is the first time I've had we've we've had so many technical problems, internet, all the above, right? Uh, everything could go wrong in this episode. That went everything went wrong, and here we are smiling at the end. That's good. I think we're proving a point here that we still have some hope, even within ourselves, to finish an episode together. Alia, we changed rooms several times. Internet connection went and came back. Uh, somehow, miraculously, Jessica, you survived the whole episode. I don't know how you did that. Even I have my camera broke in the middle of the episode. So I... I <laughs> thank you, webcam. So, Wi-Fi, camera, breakdown, the country's falling apart, and we're all smiling at the end for some reason. I don't really know why at this point. We're ending it on a hopeful note. Alia, it's it's a pleasure to get to do this with you. Uh, we've communicated at times, you know, private messages, but I really I appreciate your take on on everything that's happening. And Jessica, thank you for coming back on the episode, and I really appreciate that. I always appreciate your your views and your rather uh, blunt assessment. And I I think uh, we need more of that at times. So it's it's very uh, it's very helpful. On that note, and thank you, Roni. I just wanna say some. I just wanna publicly thank Alia for all the things she does for Lebanon, really. And thank you for having us and for having me on this. No, it's it's the pleasure is mine. So, take care, guys. Great, great to be with you. Really, <laughs> it's a long overdue, and I've enjoyed it immensely. And more to come, I hope. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.